3: hey what up welcome in i'm doug Gottlieb. this is all ball we got a great guest for you his name is jason hooten he's the new head coach in new mexico state he was a longtime assistant head coach uh, became head coach at sam houston state they're coming off a year in which they went, reached the nit second round right lost north texas north texas beat oklahoma state goes to the final four both he and grant mccaslin go and get bigger jobs and and here we are we're coming out the NBA Finals, and I, I do think, and this is part of the discussion we'll have with Coach Hooten, is, man, uh, not only can you be impressed by uh, Jokic and the Nuggets as a team, but the inventive ways in which they use kind of a point center. And I also, it's the question of when we evaluate players, we evaluate basketball players, how much of the equation has to do with athleticism? Pure unadulterated. Now, there's other types of athleticism, but the speed, agility, length, don't get me wrong. I mean, Jokic's stuff doesn't work if he's six five or six six. But the fact is, he's not a blur. He is kind of awkward, and yet he's the dominant player in the NBA. And I mean, you could make the case that that Luke is a dominant player in the NBA. Also not a blur. Paul Pierce is a guy, not a blur. I mean, you know, Kevin Durant now is able to get away with things because he he's just so big so tall, so long, but it's just an interesting, in terms of player evaluation and basketball evolution, how much should we value or overvalue, undervalue athleticism? It's a great question. Uh, more on that to come, and I'll get you ready for next next week's NBA draft, but I thought, especially on a weekend where so many basketball coaches tell me, man, I'm recruiting, I love listening to All Ball, thought we'd catch up with the new head coach in Mexico State, Jay Snoot. I want to go back to the start in a second, but here we are, June, recruiting period. You've been doing this a long time. Um, what's the state of your program, middle of June? And I ask because, you know, you've been on the job a couple months. Um, it's a program that you're kind of starting from scratch, restarting from scratch. It's been very successful. Um, but this is a an era in which the common perception is, You can flip it in very short order, and you can get it back going. But go back to last year, last two years, some guys landed people in the portal in August. So what's the state of your program
0: at New Mexico State right now? Well, first of all, I don't know about kind of starting over. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, signing 13 guys in one year um, is probably – gonna go down as you know monumentally one of the hardest things to accomplish um you know i think when you when you take the job you're excited and you're like oh 13, yeah we can do it you got the portal and you know i know at least probably four of these guys are going to come with me and you know and then you look up and it's whatever today is well today's my anniversary it's june 17th so you look you know you look up today and you're like man we still got three more to sign So, uh, Doug, the, the, you know, definitely the, the portal helps. I mean, we've, we've gone in there and, and gotten some good players, I believe, and some guys that can help us, you know, establish some things maybe quickly, but we still have a couple of big ones left to get, and those are hard. And I'm hoping that, like you said, you know, maybe in July and August, um, you know, we can land one or two more guys that will help us be competitive right away because that's the expectations here, uh, regardless of what happened last year uh with the season being shut down or whatever else took place uh the people here are rabid basketball fans and they expect to win right away and so you know as a coach that's what you expect also i mean you don't want to go somewhere and you know take a year or two to get something back up off the ground i mean we we want to try to go win right away and so we still got a little bit of work to do uh still in the middle of june how do you recruit in terms
3: of a player's expectations none of their expectations are going to be totally reasonable but you don't have guys coming back so there's not the well you know he's coming back so he's going to play that like you have literally a completely new team
0: how do you sell expectations to the players well that's a that's a good question by obviously a former basketball player um you know when you bring in 13 new guys, the expectation will be for everybody to play all the time, right? Um, even more so, as you said, than in the normal past when you've got five returners or eight returners like we did last year at Sam Houston. You know, these guys we've we've kind of told them all, like, hey, it's wide open. I mean, we have no idea who's playing. I mean, you got thirteen new guys, and so, you know, the playing time is there for everyone. Um, but I also think, Doug, like the guys that we've recruited ha- have won where they've been, but they also know our track record. And I think they've said, man, you know, these guys, this staff, they've all they've done is win wherever they've been. They've won. And so, you know, we're we're going to we're going to jump on board with them and we're going to put ourselves in a position to, you know, to, to I, I've told them all like we could be a 30 for 30. I mean, if we took this thing and we found somehow some way to maybe win a league this year or to get to the NCAA tournament, you know, for all the negative publicity that we had this past spring um, or last year or season, I, I think it could also be the opposite. I think, you know, we could also be an unbelievable story. And I think that's what we all signed up for. And, you know, the expectations. I mean, if you think about it, Doug, the last team to beat UConn in the NCAA tournament was New Mexico State, and so yeah, I, I think we've we've understood what we've signed up for here. And you know, they've always been really, really good and great. You know, great tradition here, uh, a basketball school, and so you know, I think we're we're really excited about that. Um, how much is
3: coming from a winning program part of the equation? And I bring it up because. You know, one of the hard things and I've, I've talked with a lot of coaches um, who ask me, you know, my the the beauty to my job is um, I do get to see a lot of guys and a lot of different programs. And the evals are hard because, you know, it's the old expression, every bad team has a leading score, right? And <laughs> those are the kids that are always in the portal, like, well, you know, you average 17 game. Yeah. it's team won six games. Um, so how, 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 what, what percentage of the equation is, is he a winner? And I guess kind of the follow-up to it is, you know, how do you determine if the kid himself was part of the reason they want? Like, well, if he's a winner, well, why is he leaving? So how, how, how do you evaluate yeah. that part in the portal?
0: I think we've done the opposite, Doug. We, we, what we've done in the portal last year and this year is we've taken that guy that was like the sixth or seventh man and averaged about six or seven points in a, in a power five. Right. The guy that, you know, he he averaged like 6.5. I mean, look at Quay Grant, you know, he was at Wichita state. He averaged 4.4. He played about 15 minutes a game. Um, And then all of a sudden we take him as Sam Houston and he averages 14 and a half. His number's, You know, he averages more assists and his percentages go up. He goes up to almost 37% from three, 44% to the field. So I think, you know, we've kind of done the opposite of that. I don't know if we've taken the highest score off of a team. And, you know, I think we've gone and got that guy that we're like, you know what? If we put him in a good system and we put him around a bunch of guys, they're going to work hard. They're tough. Now, all of a sudden, this guy is going to turn into a really good player on the mid-major level. And I feel like we've done that this year. You know, we've taken, you know, uh, you know, Brandon Suggs from Central Florida. He was one of the first guys off the bench for them. He averaged about 6.7 in the AAC. You know, uh, I I think he's going to average double figures for us. You know, Um, Femiel Ducule from Seton Hall averaged about seven or eight a game at Seton Hall. You know, I I think he's going to be a double-figure scorer for us. So those are just two to name a few. But I think that's kind of what we've done. And then you know, we've done what we've always done. We've, we've tried to take kids that I feel like fit our culture. They're tough. They're hard-nosed. Um, going to play hard. Going to guard and defend. I think those are things that we've always been known for in our program and staples of our program. And, you know, to, to to your point, though, I mean, yeah, you have to look at what type of kid it is, what type of player they are. You know, are they are they going to be a part of a winning – a winning culture? Are they going to do the things that it takes, you know, to win, like defend and rebound? Um, so I, I, I think it's been a good formula for us, but I do think that you have to you have to match up portal guys with, with your philosophy. I don't think you can just, like you said, I don't think you can necessarily just go take a guy that averaged 16 or 17 or 18 a game that's leaving, and he wants to go down to a mid-major. So if you're at a high major and you're averaging 16 a game, why would you step down to a low major? I think then, Doug, you start to see maybe there's some issues and some problems there.
3: Is there is there value for
0: you in recruiting high school kids like the twenty fours? Heck yeah! I mean, we've got three. I've got three of my guys on the road right now this weekend, uh, and I'll go next weekend. So, yeah, we're gonna and we're gonna keep doing what we've always done. I think you've got to have a mix. I'm not sure. I'm the type of person. They can just go get a whole portal team, uh, maybe a whole team of transfers. Now this year it'll be, it'll be strong. It'll be stronger than probably it'll ever be, just because yeah, you know, I want to try to win. Uh, we want to try to be competitive right away. Um, we've got two high school players now, and maybe still pick up one more, so we'll have three, possibly three out of thirteen this year. We've taken a couple of JUCO guys, and then the rest will be portal guys. But yeah, we've got to, we've got to keep doing that. I, I think that's going to be. You know, our, our culture will be a little different here than it has been. Um, you know, I'm a little different. Uh, and my philosophy is a little bit different than what it's been here in the past. And so, you know, I think with that will we'll come us taking some high school kids for sure. And we're recruiting 24s and 25s pretty hard right now.
3: But also, and you tell me if I'm wrong, a lot of this is can provide you, even if you don't get kids, it provides you the data and the background so that when inevitably they are in the portal,
0: you have a working knowledge of them as, as players and people. Is that fair? It's a great point by you. You know, the best example I can think of is two years ago uh, we signed Savion flag from Texas A&M at Sam Houston. And the first thing that he said to me when he left A&M, he had a year left. And the first thing he said was coach, When I was a sophomore and I came to the elite camp here, you were the first person to offer me. And, you know, two years, what, six years, I guess, fast forward, five or six years later, you know, he remembered that. And so, yes, I think that has a lot to do with it for sure, just building those relationships, you know, getting to know those people. Um, I think it when it, you know, when that opportunity comes back around, maybe in the portal, I, I think you have a leg up on some.
3: What were you like as a player?
0: Um, I was probably a poor man's version of you.
2: you in know, high school? I was,
0: uh in college, probably in college. I was I was probably a poor man. You, I wasn't as good as you, but I was probably a lot like you in that I could really run a team. I was a leader on the court. I was tough. Um, I could make open shots.
3: Is there still a place for that kid in college basketball?
0: <sighs> you know what? I it's funny. I just got out of the shower this morning and I was thinking about the questions you were going to ask me. And I was thinking, if you asked me something like that, what would my answer be? And I don't know the answer for that. I, I'd i like to hope so, but do we recruit guys like that anymore? Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, my point guards on my team right now are going to all think that they're going to be our leading scorer. And that wasn't you and I, um, you know, uh, you know, we both played or I, I'm older than you, but I you know, you played an era where you threw the ball inside. Like I had to throw the ball inside every time down the court. And I played with legitimate postmen and they posted up and we ran stuff to get the ball inside. And I threw the ball inside and, you know, I averaged a lot of assists every game. And if I got a couple of open shots, I was pretty happy. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it is or not. You know, I are there that kind of guys in the NBA? I guess that's the question. And you would know the answer to that better than me. You know, are there those type of guys in the NBA anymore? TJ McCollum, the kid that
3: was at Duquesne then Arizona, right? Um, yep. Yep. I remember him. And then, I mean, I think, you know, Chris Paul at this point in his career plays off the ball more, but he can still do it. some. But yep. even him, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a ball. nominee, and, and to be fair, you know, I played in high school in AAU a little bit more like a Nash or a yeah. or a Chris Paul scoring more. It just, you know, I completely yep. lost any sort of confidence in my, my jump shot college. But I just, you know, it's like uh, I have a son. He's a late bloomer. You know, he's little like I was. And, you know, like last week he played and he just kind of ran it. He played on my buddy's team. He just kind of ran the team. and. I mean, they were clearly better when he was on the floor than when he was off the floor, but it it's just interesting yep. on how, you know, we we evaluate. I think like there's a there's a there's a bigger story there that I, I wondered your input on, and I think the Jokic uh, Jokic's dominance in the NBA Finals and NBA playoffs is kind of a great jumping off point, which is it's like when you send your guys out there to recruit, do they Do they know that the kid that runs the fastest, jumps the highest, sometimes makes great effort plays? It's not that they don't play hard, but it's can you evaluate the actual basketball IQ and skill? But on the other hand, there's the balance of, okay, what can you get away with now, you know, at your level uh, where, you know, can you be what you call a step slow, you know, can you, I mean, there's, there's those special guys from when we were kids and Larry Bird to now, Luca. Uh, I mean, uh, Paul Pierce was that way, um, and now Jokic. Uh, this is different than the past first point guard. It's the super high basketball IQ, super skilled and tough, but lacks the burst athletically. How hard is that to evaluate? Balanced in the way in which AAU and high school basketball is played, and the guys in which you have
0: evaluating. Don't you think that's? I think you answered it like. There's two sides to that, right? There's a coach who values those things, and he looks at your son and says, man, this kid, he may be a step slow or a half a step slow, but he's always going to be in the right position. Like, he's going to keep somebody in front because he's going to figure it out. Or, you know, he's going to jump with the ball and be in the gap and be where he's supposed to be, and he's going to take a charge every single time. You know, he's going to get every loose ball. He's going to run the team. The team is so much better when he's on the floor. He's going to make an open shot. Now you take him and you surround him around a, a Jokic and maybe a Pierce. And now you've got a good team. And I still think there's there's that. I think it's a coach, though. Like, it's got to be the right program, right? It's got to be the right coach. You know, it's got to be someone that values those things. And then there's years when you're like, man, you know what? We need that other guy. We need that, like you said, the, the super athletic guy that, you know, but also still, just as a coach, in my philosophy, I always think you have to have the two together. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think we've had our best teams when we've had that. Last year was a good example of our team. We had a little bit of all of that together. And those guys were pretty good IQ and they knew how to play and they knew how to move the ball. And nobody cared who the leading scorer was. And I think your son will, you know, he'll prosper in one of those types of, you know, environments. And on one of those kind of teams, he's going he's gonna to be able to play and make a name for himself on a team like that. But yeah, I think there's still there's still coaches out there that value that, and they look for that for sure. You know, with with ball screen offense now, you know, you didn't really play in a ball screen offense back then. And if you would if you would have played in a ball screen offense back then, you would have really, I mean, you would have prospered because you're you know you're great ball handling and your great feel and your you know your great reads off of ball screens. And you know, I mean, we I don't think we set that one ball screen when I played.
1: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80.
0: So, who's your high school coach? A guy named Mark Osina. Mark Osina, after finishing high school with me, was the longtime JUCO coach at Weatherford Junior College, and that w- that was my high school coach. And then, in junior college, I played for a guy named Ken DeWeese. Uh, played, won thousands of games at McClendon Community College, and then when I got to Tarleton, I played for probably one of the best unknown college basketball coaches of all time a guy named Lon Reisman at Tarleton State he he's known probably mostly known for finding Dennis Rodman uh, he found Dennis Rodman when he was an assistant at Southeastern Oklahoma and coach Dennis at Southeastern and but but coach Reisman was I mean he's won over 700 games he was also the athletic director at the time at Tarleton and still is to this day um, he, he's the athletic director at Tarleton State but he was my mentor he was my college coach and the man that pretty much taught me everything about coaching that I know today. And I, I got to give him and uh, a lot of credit for me being even in a position that I'm in today.
3: What was something that he did at, at practice that you had never seen before?
0: Whoa man. Practice for four hours every day <laughs> with one <laughs> water break. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, man, Doug, those, You know, there was it was funny. There was an assistant coach who at the time was at uh, UTEP for Coach Haskins and then ended up over here actually at New Mexico State with Coach McCarthy, a guy named Russ Bradbury. You probably know Russ. And at the time when I was playing and then became a young assistant at Tarleton, I was was like 93, 94. Russ had – he had put a player named Roy Howard in at Tarleton the year before I got there because back then – you could put a player in an NAI for one year and then take him back, and he would be eligible at the Division One. And so Russ put this kid named Roy Howard in at Tarleton, as I said, the year before I got there. And then when when Roy finished his first year, he took him to UTEP, and, and Roy had a tremendous career at UTEP. But I remember when I became an assistant, Russ would come around and, you know, he would He would come through practices and kind of took me under his wing, taught me a lot about recruiting when I was a young assistant. And I'll never forget he would come to those practices. And he said, listen, I've been to Bobby Knight's practice before. (laughs) These practices are way harder than Bobby Knight's practices. So, uh, man, he just taught me. Obviously, you can't practice like that today, right? But I think he just taught me about the value of just pushing guys to to be the best they can be and, you know, just playing hard and diving on the floor for loose balls and taking charges. And I think all those things that maybe most kids, if you sign 13 guys, probably 10 of them don't just naturally want to do those things or they've never been maybe held accountable to do those things. But I think when you put them in your program and you put them around three or four guys like your son who do those things naturally, then, you know, I think you, I think that's how you build a winning culture in a program. And so I think he taught me those things more, more than anything. He just, you know, taught me that. And then defense, I mean, you know, we were blessed this past year. We were fourth in the country and points per game given up, and we were fifth in the country and uh, field goal defense. And so I just think year in and year out, we've been pretty good defensively. You know, it's interesting. I had this
3: conversation. Miles Simon's one of my my dearest friends. He's a head coach in the G league. He's been assistant coach in the NBA and he was assistant coach at Arizona under loot. And he played obviously under Lute; They won a national championship. Yep. And I said, Hey, did Lute ever, ever drop a play? And he's like, Nope. And I was like, that's funny. Coach <laughs> Sutton never drove a play. Not one. Now, Sean Sutton would drop the plays and then, you know, he'd point out something spacing wise. It wasn't like he didn't understand spacing, but, uh, um, right. What what was what was he like as far as in exit? Because that part, I mean, I'll even go to the defensive side. You know, people always talk about Eddie Sutton's defense. Like, i never forget. Well, first time we did a drill, you know, we did one-on-one contain on the side. And it was kind of old school, right? You start under the bucket. You roll that ball yep. out. You close yep. out. And you yep. got to guard your yard or you got to go again. You got to keep going until you get a stop. And I and so yep. you know we, it was like, still literally my <laughs> yep my first practice, and I said, "Coach, are we forcing middle? Are we forcing baseline?" He said, "No, guard your man." I was like, I, "Coach, I I understand, but where is the help coming from?" Well, the I, only I, thing I, you I, need I, to do is help me, coach. If you can't guard your man right now, re, uh, in reality, we did help from the baseline side, but. <laughs> It was, it was so – like, I'm not wrong. It was so different. Like, we're, now we got all this plays and false motion and movement and, you know, different ways of ball screen coverage and rotations. What was it like for you at Tarleton in regards to the the, the level of detail outside of just play hard and compete?
0: Well, Coach was old school for sure. We ran a motion um, with four out and one in. And, you know, we didn't have – I don't think maybe – well, I guess we did get a shot clock maybe. I can't remember what year the shot clock came in. Um, But, man, we worked that thing around the horn now. I mean, we passed it and cut and passed it and cut. You never stood still. You always passed and cut. And then the postman went from block to block, and we threw the ball into him. And I played with – in both years at Tarleton, I played with two postmen that, I mean, those guys were – you know, 25 points a game and they could carry us all on their back. But man, we never quit moving. We passed and cut, we passed and cut. And then, you know, we had set plays, but man, you know, like the old and I still run it, we call it two game, you know, but and actually I guess we did, we did run a ball screen, you know, set up one ball screen on the side and a stagger on the other side and, you know, come off of it. And that was, you know, we kind of go into a little shuffle stagger out of it, but You know, it was pretty simple offensively. Uh, I think we just were based off of that motion. But defensively, not a lot has changed, Doug. I mean, we did that drill every day. And, you know, maybe after about a month, he would say, okay, now your help is coming from over here. And, you know, we're going to – but he always taught defense like it was a puzzle. And this was what he'd always say. If you're putting – and I say it today. I'll say it next month. Hey, if you're putting a puzzle together and you walk in – you just don't throw it on the floor and it put himself together. You know, you got to put it together piece by piece. And or he'd always say, you know, if you come in your dorm, the first night you come in your dorm, you have no idea where the light is. You're reaching around, you're feeling around, you're trying to find the light. And, uh, so, you know, he would say all those things. And of course, you know, when you're 19, 20, 21, you're like, what, what are you talking about? You know? And then, man, I got to become a head coach and I'm like saying the same things and we teach the same ways, but, You know, those defensive drills that you did with coach, I think are probably the same ones we do. I mean, you know, closeout drills and trying to keep the ball in front. And, you know, we don't try to overcomplicate things. I mean, you know, we've helped from certain sides for sure. But, man, we have our best teams when dudes can keep the ball in front. You know that. I mean, when you can keep the ball in front, you know, when your point guard can keep the ball in front, uh, you got a chance to be pretty good. And then nowadays, if you've got a big guy that can really – help on ball screens and whatever your philosophy is, whether it's a hard hedge or a shadow or whatever you do, if that big guy's really good at that and he's long and can protect the rim, you know, you got a chance to be pretty good defensively. And that's what we did last year. You know, Quay could, Quay, I had two guards, Quay and Dante Power. Those two guys could really guard. And then my big kid that I brought from Kansas state, who's actually coming with me to New Mexico state. He, I mean, he was so good on ball screen coverage, he had high level IQ, you know, would talk to you the whole time, Doug. Doug, you know, turn your feet, turn your feet. It's right here. You know, what I mean, he just the whole night he just talked, and I think that's really why we were good defensively. Um, but a lot of those things, you know, if Coach come to my practice today, I think he would, you know, he would look at it and say, "Man, you know, that that makes me proud. It's the same stuff that we did back in the '80s." And I think if you were coaching today. And and coach came to your practice, Coach Sutton came to your practice. I think he would say the same thing about you too, and your dad for that matter. I think both of them would watch your practice and say, Yeah, that's what I taught you. You know, those are the things that still matter in basketball in order to win.
3: My dad was a guy, who was interesting. You know, he did, and I I take this uh with youth teams that I coach today, and I've seen the guys I've seen do it the most are Tony Bennett. Um Randy, Randy Bennett, no relation, obviously. A couple of those guys where they do spend a segment of every practice on passing fundamentals and cutting fundamentals. And it's really interesting. You know, uh, I mean, there was never a practice my dad ever had that we didn't do. He was big on jump stop. Like, you know, the, the two-man passing when you're 15, yep. to 18 feet away. But he always yep. did it with a jump stop. You know, and and teaching a jump stop now, obviously it's more of a one-two stop or whatever. Uh, but I've seen I've seen Tony Bennett's teams, they come out and their first segment is always on, you know, ball handling, passing and catching. Sean Miller is big on passing and catching. And you know, it's really it's it is it is interesting that that I, I honestly think it's needed more now, even though I do believe the overall skill is better. But the overall skill, so much of it is these guys working out one-on-cone with a workout guy. So they're better with the ball, but they don't know what the hell to do without the ball. And then the passing and catching element of it oftentimes is uh, is is something that they don't focus on in their workouts. From b- By your estimation, guys done it a long time, what are players like now as opposed to when you used to get them out of high school or out of uh,
0: out of a transfer? I think it's that part, Doug. You're, I think you're spot on. Uh, we spend five minutes every day on passing, two hand passing, just like your dad, two, two guys together with a ball. We do it five minutes a day for six days a week. That's 30 minutes a week. So, um, we, we concentrate on two hand chest passes. I'm a big two hand guy. So many guys have one hand on the ball. And nowadays everybody plays up in the passing lanes. And if someone overplays you and you're making a one handed pass, you can't pull that thing back. And I think that's why a lot of turnovers happen. So we have two hands on the ball. Um, not to say that we won't make a one handed pass, but we got to have two hands on the ball eventually. You know, we work a lot on post entry passes still, and, and we try to concentrate on throwing it inside, although we probably don't enough. But yeah, I agree with you. I mean, taking care of the ball is, you know, I, you can just look at the possessions now, especially in the NBA, man. There's so many possessions in a game. People talk about these statistics. Um, you know, that these guys are getting triple doubles every night. But, I mean, if you look at when Larry Bird played and now when LeBron plays, I don't know the numbers because I'm not an analytical guy like that. But there's got to be tons, tons more possessions per game. You're
3: talking 90 possessions, 90-plus possessions. And, oh, yeah, by the way, within those possessions, you know, some of those guys are so ball-dominant that, you know, if you have the ball that much, you're going to accumulate stats, Right? that's just yeah. the kind of re- so that's the 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 reality of it. It is. I don't. It is, yeah, I
0: don't. I don't take any of that stuff now. Like when you watch people, even like a guy like uh, what's the guy's name that the Lakers had this year and they got rid of Westbrook. Him? Uh, yeah, I mean, Westbrook. look at his stats and like he's a great player for sure, but I don't think he could have played in that era with Bird and those guys because you know he can't make jump shots and those guys just weren't going to let him force it force it in there, you know, and, and no, you would have a, you'd have a power forward and a
3: center in the lane. Like that's the, the other part to it is not only could you hand check, but there's two guys in
0: your way. Correct. And I tell people all the time, like even LeBron, like he's arguably, I mean, I don't want to get into this, but he's arguably one of the best players of all time. There's no doubt about it, but people just don't understand, like driving the ball in there against Bill Lambeer and Mahorn. like you just, didn't You won't do that the whole game because you're a normal person. Like No matter how tough you are or how strong or athletic you are, you go in there three or four times and you get the heck knocked out of you and you end up on your back. I mean, common sense tells you that you're probably just not going to do that a whole lot more the rest of the night. Think about, think about
3: what we're talking about, okay? So, yes, LeBron would be, would, you know, like maybe he's guarded by Mahorn, but like you said, Mahorn and Lambeer were both on the floor at the same time. And yeah. the reason that coaches preached the mid-range jump shot was out of necessity. Sure. <laughs> because you couldn't get to the rim. Right? Right. Jordan was like the first guy to be able to get to the rim. You yep. couldn't get to the rim. There was no space. So yep. uh, it's it it, it's such a such a different game. All right, that's it for part one. We got part two for you. We'll drop it mm, probably tomorrow or the next day. But I, I thought you'd appreciate uh, that portion of the conversation, and uh, coming up in the next all ball, ooh, I think wait till you hear the story of how Jason Hooton met his wife. The the day we record this was his anniversary, and not necessarily as strong a recruiting skills out of the gate as one would think, but uh, he definitely set, uh, found a keeper, and uh, you'll hear why. Plus, why take? What was it like to take the New Mexico State job? reminder, the Doug Gottlieb Show is daily, 3 to 5 Eastern. And, uh, of course, you can check it out on Fox Sports Radio, the iHeartRadio app, foxsportsradio.com. Thanks so much for listening, downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Send me a tweet at Gottlieb Show if you like it. Jason, Newton was awesome. This is all ball.